This episode is dedicated to Bill W., the founder of Alcoholic Anonymous, and all the members of Alcoholic and Narcotics Anonymous worldwide. Um, I love you all. Without AA, I would not be here today. And I just want you guys to know, keep fighting a good fight. Um, AA changed my life in many ways, and I love you all. And despite my message and a disclaimer, this episode is dedicated to you guys. So if you're out there, Joseph Pop Buchanan is a big proponent for AA. I'm a big supporter. And although this podcast is not directly affiliated with AA or 12-step programs, it is influenced by 12A, uh, AA and 12-step programs. So I just wanted to give you guys a humble shout out and, and everyone out there that's fighting a good fight. I truly love you guys and thanks again. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sober is Dope podcast with your host, Pop Buchanan. Um, Today's episode is entitled 12 Steps to Heaven, 12 Steps to Peace, 12 Steps to Love. Um, It's all about the 12-step system of Alcoholic Anonymous. And I just want to start out by saying a large part of my recovery is based on the help and the tenets of AA and the 12 steps. And unbeknownst to me, um, you know, once I started to go to AA and attend meetings, which was halfway through my recovery process, um, when I was introduced to the 12 steps and the tenets thereof, um, I, I, I quickly began to realize that, hey, a lot of this stuff lined up to my process. Um, the steps are really foundational in recovery. And it's like these 12 magical steps that's real. And if you follow them, they put recovery in such a clarity that, you know, freedom from addiction becomes a reality to the attic. And in my case, I have to give a lot of props and love to Alcoholic Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, and the 12-step systems, and shout out to Bill W. And although in the intro and disclaimer of this podcast, I do state that this podcast is not affiliated with Alcoholic Anonymous or any 12-step system or program, that does not mean that I have not benefited from Alcoholic Anonymous or a 12-step program. And I am, um, and I give a lot of love and respect to Alcoholic Anonymous. And without Alcoholic Anonymous and solidifying my recovery process, putting things in absolute perspective, I'm not sure if I'll be here today. So I have to give them props. The only reason why I state that in my disclaimer is because I don't want to, you know, is it will be irresponsible for me to state that this podcast is affiliated because I don't have any formal permissions from Alcoholic Anonymous or AA. And um, so I have to be very clear that I don't like to, um, I didn't want to misrepresent them in any way. And I want to show them as much respect and love, but I'm definitely a supporter and proponent for AA. I think that anyone that's struggling with alcohol or any form of addiction, substance abuse addiction, should look into some 12-step program. I think 12-step talk therapy group 
groups are very foundational to the recovery process of an addict. And I'm living proof that there's they're, they're 100% solid because I'm almost seven years sober. And although, and I know my AA um, community is going to kick me in the butt for saying this, although I no longer need to attend meetings every day or attend meetings every day, I am the, the the tenants and the the steps of 12A are deeply embedded in my heart and in my DNA and I'm still going strong. And if I ever was shaken in my sobriety, if I ever was threatened, I will definitely call up my sponsor. I will definitely go to a meeting and that's the first step. If I ever was which I never will and I never want to relapse, the first step for me would be go to detox and go take my butt to a meeting because the meetings put things in perspective for all of us because a lot of it is community and for us to know that we're not alone. So today I just want to go through 12 steps briefly in this short episode and just talk briefly about how they affected me and my process for you guys today because again, without the 12 steps, I wouldn't be here. Um, AA's 12 steps approach follow a set of guidelines designed as steps towards recovery and members can revisit these steps at any time. The 12 steps are step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Now, ladies and gentlemen, for those who's part of the Sober is Dope universe, you know the part of my Sober is Dope story where I activated step one. It's that blessed day where I was walking in Brooklyn and I literally realized I lost everything and I had to get on my knees and pray. And I had to say to God that, you know, God, wherever you at, I feel like the devil has me. I feel like I'm trapped and I need help. And if you're out there, please help me because I'm powerless. And I didn't say it in those exact words, but me being on my knees was a testimony to God. And I was admitting to God that I am helpless and I'm broken and I need help. And miraculously, some voice or something came to me and told me the next step was to go to the hospital and seek help. And that was the beginning of my sober's dope journey. So ladies and gentlemen, this is so on point. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives became become unmanageable. And at this point, when I say unmanageable, I lost my place. I, I, I wasn't working. I was estranged from my family. I wasn't with my girlfriend. I was totally by myself. I was one step away from just being totally homeless. And again, that wasn't me. That wasn't my identity. I was a kid who grew up with, had a lot of resources, and I was really blessed to have a good family and a strong support system, but addiction took everything away from me. So my life did become unmanageable, and that's real. So I worked a step. The first step was admitting to God, admitting to myself, I'm powerless and I have a problem and I need help. And if you're out there and you're struggling, that's the first step. You have to admit that you're powerless over this. You know, why do we have a fentanyl crisis, a drug crisis, a heroin crisis, an alcohol crisis? It's because we're powerless over the these addictions, these drugs, these powerful substances. They overwhelm our body, mind, and spirit and take us and drag us to hell. And we need help. So step one definitely really hits home. Step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity came to believe now this is the thing literally addiction to have you in your own feelings in your own way 
right? And you will be, you, the only thing I believed in at that time was that bottle of brandy and that bottle of whiskey and them, that beer and all, and, and all of that alcohol I was drinking. But I knew God and loved God. But I had to come to believe that there was a power greater than myself. So I did. When I got on my knees and prayed, when I got on my knees and cried out, I, I did it with the understanding that there's something, there was a power greater than me that need, that could restore me back to sanity. I said, God, I need help. Bottom line, I need help. This is crazy. This is not me. I never intended to get go this far with the partying and the, you know, everything starts out innocent. A little drink, a little Friday night fun, a little this and that. Then you get a little depressed. One bad thing happens in your life. You know, you lose someone you love. You go through some hardships. You lose job. You lose money. You suffer from a little depression. And then you don't realize you have this issue, this disease of alcoholism. Then you get trapped. And you don't realize you're addicted to drugs or whatever your drug of choice is. You, you get trapped. So that was important, man. I really just had to make, you know, I had to, I was just like, look, God's the only one that can bring me back to my wholeness. God's the only one that can fix me. All right. So if, if you don't believe in God, I'm going to tell you something, humans. And um, to everyone out there, whether you're an atheist or whatever, every human being gets to a point in life where... There's something that's greater than them that has to deliver them, that can help them. Because we can't do it all ourselves. I thought I could do it all myself. If I left it up to my own will, I wouldn't know where to go. I wouldn't know where to start. I needed some, I needed some, you know, an intercession. I needed someone to something to intercede on behalf of me. And God came and said, look, you know what? You asked and now I'm here. Let's get the words, go to work. Cause you my son and I'm not gonna let you fall from grace like that. And I'm here later. I'm like six years later, I'm here. So the step two is really deep. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Now the care of God as we understood him. So this means is non-denominational. You know, it's not about you being a Christian, a Catholic, a Muslim, a Buddhist, or anything like that. This is however you look at God. You have to give, you have to turn your will over and your life over to the care of something greater, of, of a greater force. Whether it's God, the universe, the creator of all things, whatever you call it, whatever you understand it to be, you have to say... I'm powerless, so I'm transferring my will over to something greater, and I'm trusting. This has something to do with trust, and for me, I, I know I how I understood God. I understood God in so many different ways. Anyone who ever knew me knew I was the kid who always talked about God. You know, I would talk about God, Elohim in Hebrew, whatever you want. We'll talk about the Bible and Jesus and, and whatever. The angels, I was always fascinated and into God. I come from a really religious family, and I, I I have very hard roots. I have a priest in my family. So therefore, I know God. But the addiction was so strong that I act like I forgot. But then I had to make a decision to turn my will back over and give it to God. So when I say the battle belongs to the Lord, well, I didn't really say that. Joyce Meyer said that in her book, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. But that's real. The battle does belong to the Lord. And for me, I gave my life over to God and Jesus Christ and was like, look, please help me. I'm, I'm, I'm done and I need help. And I know you and I love you and I'm asking you to take me back and help me. And God was like, I never left. You just need to do the work. 
So that's real. Um, and, and I really had to do that because I, I was powerless. Um, four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Okay, a moral inventory. I had to look really deep within myself and make a decision to change. I had to do a moral inventory. Like, So the moral inventory for me sounded and looked like this. Joe, look, you can't do this no more. You're better than this. You know you're better than this. You fell to the dark side. You you don't. This is not your life. God has more in store for you. You you know you fell from grace. You got to get back. You don't want to die. You have a lot to live for. You should love yourself. Come on, we could do this. Let's do this together. Let's do this. No matter what, this time if we make this decision and this commitment, we have to go straight. We can't we can't play games no more with God. We can no longer play games with the universe. We can no longer act up. If when God delivers us, because at this point God gave my will I gave my will over to God, I knew. I said, listen, I don't know for 100% I could get through this alive and intact. I'm sick, I'm shaky, I don't, my heart's beating funny. I don't know if my liver's good. I don't know if I'm diabetic. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm sick, I'm broken, I've lost weight. I have all this gray hair, I'm young. I don't have nothing. I might, I might just go to the doctor in rehab and they'll tell me I have two weeks to live. You don't know. So if you get through this, you gotta run fly straight. And you got to respect God and you can't play with the planet no more. You can't play with this precious thing called life. You need to step up, step up as a man and do the right thing. You deserve it. It's all about you. It's not about your girlfriend, your family, or nothing. It's about you. You deserve to love yourself and you need to stop. All right? All of this has to stop today. So if God's going to deliver us and we take this step, then we got to do the right thing. That was my fearless moral inventory. It was no going back. It was no going back. I was like, this is it. It was no game. That was the first time in my life I said, there's absolutely no games I could play with God or the universe at this point or I'll die. The universe is clear. It doesn't waste time on people who don't want to get it together. Either I die or I'll be homeless and running through the street and I'll die of insanity or I will fall from grace. That wasn't me, man. Three years prior to that, I'm running around with money and building a dream. So I knew better. So I had to do a real moral inventory and to keep it real with myself. So do a fearless moral inventory. Step up. Take accountability. A moral inventory is also taking accountability of what you're doing. Um, Number five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to any human being the exact nature of our wrongs. I'm still delivering the exact nature of my wrongs, and I, I'm still admitting it to anyone who listen. That's why I'm doing this podcast. But prior to the podcast, I had to go to, I had to get, so it goes back to step one. When I got on my knees, I was admitting to God and saying to the universe, I was powerless and admitting the exact nature of my wrongs. I failed, I messed up. Then I went through the process and rehab. I didn't drag my family through it or nothing. I just went by myself. This was all by myself. I went, I just walked off the street and just went to a hospital, went to an outpatient. I didn't call nobody. I didn't do anything until I got strong enough to actually get back on my feet. That's when I made my first phone call to my family and it was on Christmas day where I said, hey guys, I don't know where everyone's at, but I'm okay. I wanna know if I could come and get something to eat. You know, this shit got me tearing up, man. This is crazy, man. Damn, man. I'm, I just brought myself right back to that day. That's that's insane. 
But we got to stay strong. I'm not going to tear up on this, man. We we strong. God is good, right? But um, um, I had to admit to God, my family, and myself the exact natures of my wrongs. That I, I was very selfish. I have a disease called alcoholism. I have to take care of it. I have to take better care of myself. And I have to live a special life. I can't live a life like everyone else. I can't be like everyone else. I have to live a very disciplined and strict life. And, you know, so that's why I don't party a lot. That's why I don't do a lot of things. I'm very simple now. And in my simplicity, I found God and peace. And that's okay. Right? So, all right. Step six. We entirely... We're entirely ready to have God remove all these character character defects or defects of our character. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of our character. So at this point, I'm definitely like, God, you know, restore me back. Bring me back to grace, right? Uh, I used to have this prayer, I am like thou Christ in me, set my mind forever free, and may the Holy Spirit forever shine and blaze within this heart of mine. Thou have mercy forever free and keep me always in tune with thee. Right? That's a decree prayer. And I used to always say that prayer and ask God to remove these character defects and bring me back to my full grace. All right. And that's and that's a beautiful thing. What does that mean? Bring me back to how I was as a child before I got into addiction as a young man, when I was just innocent. I want to go back to just being innocent, you know, water, food and fun, you know, not needing to drink or do drugs to party or escape. Just just let me be me and let me figure that out. Let me live a natural life, you know, because anything that God blesses in the natural, he has to bless in the supernatural. Like, you know, so I was like, you know, just bless me as it is in heaven. So it'll be on earth. I don't need all this other stuff. Right. Just remove these character defects and let me be whole again. This is all about being whole and getting your life back. Right. And those dark little things that permeate those dark permutations in our mind. I'm worthless. I don't need this. The depression, the self-doubt, the anxiety, the fear, you know, all of those negative character traits, those things that held us back and those things that drove us further in addiction. We have to ask God to remove those things from us, from our hearts, minds, so we could be restored in mind, body and spirit. Amen, guys. You feel me? All right. Like Gary V said, you preaching, you preaching. <laughs> I'm coming with you. I'm telling you guys, man, this stuff is so beautiful. All right. Um, number seven, humbly ask him, God, to remove our shortcomings. So this is real. Like now removing the shortcomings kind of sound like, well, my shortcoming was the alcoholism. God, if you could remove this, I would humbly ask you, if you could do this creative miracle in my life, I'm going to fly straight forever. You got to have the courage. Do you have the courage to act outwardly on what you see inwardly? Or will you die a dreamer Will you die on the verge and on the edge and in the land of coulda, woulda, and shoulda? Do you have the courage? I'm I'm gonna drop something on you. It takes courage to be successful. It is far easier not to be successful. 
misery will always have company. Success breeds contempt. If you don't want to make waves, be mediocre. Be normal and fit in. And if you're more concerned about people than you are God, then neutralize everything he put in you. Just fit in with everybody else. Dress like them, walk like them, act like them, eat like them, go where they go, think like they think, do what they do. And once you've neutralized your uniqueness, you don't need courage. It takes courage to be different. It takes courage to go where you've never gone before. For some of you, it took courage to come to this conference. It takes courage to get you outside of the bar. It takes courage to be successful. It takes courage to win. People don't talk about people that don't win. If you win, they're gonna talk about you. Do you have the courage to stand there though the storms keep raging and the people get to talking and you stand there and say, I've come too far to turn around? Do you have the courage? I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something to you. It takes courage to be exceptional. It takes courage to be wise. It takes courage to be rich. It takes courage to be educated. It takes courage to be knowledgeable. Because the moment you do, but you, you don't talk like, oh, you don't got, forgot where you came from. Look at you, you talked to me. It takes courage. And I'm just wondering, in this weak, watered-down, mediocre society that we live in today, in this reality TV world we live in today, I'm wondering if there's anybody left that's got the courage to say, after all I've been through, and all my ancestors have been through, and all my parents have been through, I didn't come through all of that just to fit in with normalcy. I have the courage to go after my dream. Is there a woman left in this entire Coliseum that's got some courage? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Step one through six was very emotional, very intense. Um, we had to cut through a short break. Um, you know, as you know, I bring this podcast to you guys um, with a lot of love and passion. And sometimes I'm moving and sometimes I'm getting emotional ahead of myself. Had to take a small break and calm down. It was a lot of emotions dialing up. So now we're going into step seven. And this episode is entitled 12 Steps to Heaven. And this is my take, your host Pop Buchanan takes on how the 12 steps of Alcoholic Anonymous affected me. And I'm going through the steps one by one and explaining my process at the time, how it relates to me and how they helped me. And again, although I state in a disclaimer that this podcast is not affiliated with AA or any 12-step program, that's just out of permissions and uses because I never got permission formally to state that it was affiliated, but I am definitely an AA member and I definitely love AA and it was definitely foundational to my recovery. So no matter what... If you if you're in any form of an addiction, whether it's alcohol addiction, substance abuse addictions out there, I will say if you never witnessed AA or never went to an AA meeting and any 12 step program or talk talk therapy group, please, please 
go because they'll, or bring someone who needs the help because that's the first that's one of the first steps so AA has it really figured out it's like a million people went before us that struggled through the process and then came back with a system of healing and a system of recovery and steps that we could take one by one to help us so I left you guys last on step six which was we're entirely um, ready to have God remove all these character defects. Now, moving along to s- step seven, humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. So when we talk about being humble, it's a form of humility, right? Because at this point, we, you know, at this point for me, my addiction was so thick. It was so crazy that I, everything about me had to be humble. So when we go back to step one, when I was on my knees, I was on my knees praying to God in the middle of the street. You, I, that's, I had to give it all to God. I had to give it all to God and be humble, guys. That's all I had at the time. I was like, I'm lost. This, this thing is no game. And I'm lost. So I have to humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings. My shortcomings was my addiction, my alcoholism, my disease to alcoholism, my inability to stop drinking and get my life back on track, and my inability to choose myself. So I was powerless, and I had to go through these processes. I had to go through the first six steps. I mean, the first, um, yeah, the first six steps to get here. And then I'm still humble. To me, I'm I'm still on my knees in the middle of that street praying to God saying, help me, right? I had to be humble. I needed help. I was powerless. I was stuck. So step seven is about humility and knowing that you need a power greater than yourself to help you get through your shortcomings, whether that's your fears, your anxiety, your doubts, you know, your negative ideas of yourself, your self-pity, your self-hatred, you know, whatever you're going through, your generational curses, whatever it was with your family, whatever you may have been going through. You know, you have to ask God to remove those things so you can heal. This is all about healing. All right. So moving along to step eight, made a list of all persons who who we had harmed and became and became willing to make amends to them all. Um so making a list of everybody that we hurt, I didn't have to make a list. Literally, I literally had to go to every single person that I knew who would listen and say, yo, I'm sober, I'm trying to do better. If I hurt you, I apologize. And if you're out there and you're listening and I did something to you in my past that I did not apologize for, I'm letting you know I'm sorry. And I'm doing the work every day to clean myself up and to be a better person. I know there was many times in my addiction where I got drunk and may have cursed somebody out or got angry, went into a drunk rage, and then hurt someone's feelings, or maybe, I know I hurt my ex-girlfriend a lot, you know, I hurt my, you know, I hurt a lot of people in my life, like verbally, and just a lot of negativity when you, when you're angry, drunk, and depressed, and lost, and then, you know, you hurt, you hurt people, you know, and I, and I know on many occasions, no matter how nice of a guy I was, I was an uglier person when I was drinking, it was ugly aspects of that, so I had to make amends. Making amends is good because it does two things. It clears, it cleans the, it clears the slate. All right, it's it re, it's like a reset button because a lot of us hold on to those embarrassing moments and the people that we hurt. We keep it on our chest. We hold it right on our chest. We know we hurt someone. We know we played ourselves. We know we went too far. It's embarrassing. How many times we embarrass ourselves? We said things we didn't mean. So when you clean yourself up and you really do the work, 
and you make amends. I didn't start to make amends to at least six months to a year in. Because there was times where I first tried to get sober and I started making amends after a month or two and drank again. And people was like, yo, man, don't come to me unless you get your stuff together because you was talking all this, then you relapse. So my thing was I made amends when I was really solid and I felt like I was serious and I changed my mindset where it was told my mindset shifted into total sobriety and transformation and never looking back, right? So I had to make a list. Now, the thing about step eight Step nine is specific. It says, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So that just simply means to me, I don't know what this means to AA. I don't know how technical they get with this. What this meant to me was, don't go trying to apologize to someone who's not ready to, 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 to give you forgiveness. And then if they're not ready to forgive you and you really hurt them, don't try to throw your sobriety or your thing in their face and expect that they don't don't treat it like, oh, I'm sober now. You have to forgive me. You have to be humble. If the person's like, look, I'm not ready to talk to you. I don't want to be bothered. You have to give people the time so you can't do it to hurt them like you can't because sometimes you could you could you could have caused a certain amount of pain to someone. And if they're not ready to forgive you and you go back into their you go back into their life. You know, there's a big chance that when they see you, you could bring a ball of that hurt again and they may not be in the space yet to forgive you. And you got to be patient and you got to be willing to take that loss because sometimes a person might say, no, nah, I'm not giving it to you. It's too, you hurt me too much. And then, you know, so you can't injure, you know, it's like emotional. You can't hurt people because you want to make amends. It's only when it's when they're willing to accept your apology. All right. So you can't try to play games. You can't use your sobriety to play games with someone who really doesn't want anything to do with you. You know, I have I have fan, I have a, a particular family member that I love and I made multiple attempts to try to make amends with. I don't even know what I particularly did to them, but and whatever. I remember once or twice I said things that I may have not that 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 they didn't really appreciate. And I thought that that particular thing that I said was something that I could make amends with but that person just wrote me off totally and was just like don't bother me no more I don't want to be I don't want to be bothered don't ever contact me again so then I had to it was hurtful right but I that was a second time and then I wasn't following the rule the rule was don't attempt to make amends if it's going to hurt someone so my presence in their life and my attempts to reach out to them was hurtful to them so I was wrong I should have I should have heard them loud and clear the first time they said, don't contact me unless it's an emergency. And then when I contact them with a quasi-emergency the second time, trying to play like we're friends, and they're like, don't, we told, don't contact me at all now. Don't ever contact me again because you don't listen. So I had to listen. I had to take my licks, and I had to say, okay, I, take my, I, can't, I can't reach out to this person because when doing so, we'll hurt them or make them uncomfortable, and they're not ready to extend forgiveness. So, but everyone else in my life, wherever you are, I, I, I went to, like, my exes, I went to my, um, my family, my mother, anyone that I hurt, even if it was a basic argument, and I said, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry, because, like, drinking is ugly, and when you're really thick in the addiction, it's just ugly, and sometimes that ugliness hurts people and it's off-putting. And we, are, we have to be responsible enough to clean it up. Now, here's the good thing. When you make amends, 
you clear the slate and then now you're free, you're lighter and you can move on and you can put your past behind you. So step eight is all about putting your past behind you. Step nine, I mean step 10 now. Step eight and nine is about putting your past behind you as long as you're not hurting anyone. Step 10, continue to take a personal inventory of when we were wrong promptly, when when we were wrong promptly admitted it. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong promptly admitted it. Let's say that again because I got tongue twisted on that. Step 10. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So this is an ongoing thing. We have to every day I have to take a moral inventory. I have to learn. I can't lash out on people. I can't, you know, if I, it's just a human thing. You're going to have, you're going to have shortcomings. You're going to have character defects. You're going to have a lot of things. You're going to have an attitude. You're going to, sometimes you're going to be upset. Sometimes you're going to be irritated, but you have to promptly admit it and promptly fix it. Right And constantly take a moral inventory To stay on top of your sobriety So this is good Step 11 and we're wrapping this up Sort through prayer and meditation To improve our conscious contact with God As we understood him Praying only for knowledge of his will for us And the power to carry that out So this is important First of all prayer and meditation is foundational to, And I always talk about having a connection with God but they say something here that's important. We all know we need to pray. We all Well, we don't, but it's very important to pray and to have some form of meditation and supplication to God. Some form of spiritual practice where you're reaching out and creating contact with your higher power because it reminds us of our mortality and that we're here to be our best version of ourselves and to live a righteous and blessed life, right? But it's also equally important to remember that praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So it's not about praying to God for your will. It's to pray to God for his will and God's will um, and have knowledge of God's will in our life and having the courage and willingness to carry that out and the power to carry that out in our life. So it's about God. At this point in step 11, God, we went to God and asked, said we were powerless over our addiction. We needed help. We asked God to remove our character defects. We humbly asked God to remove our shortcomings. And now we're asking for God's knowledge. We're praying for God's, for knowledge of God's will for us and carry that will out in our lives. So now, you know, it's a process. These are steps that we're taking to get closer with God and to get closer and deeper in our recovery. Step 12 is very important. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry these this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all affairs. All right? And, th- and then that's why, ladies and gentlemen, I created the Sober is Dope podcast for you guys because I wanted, because th- I have a spiritual awakening. I came to believe. I understand God. I walk with God. I'm not perfect, but I walk with God in my sobriety and my recovery. And every day I walk up, I'm fighting, right? And God is making me a victor because I'm working through his will. And God's will was for me to be restored in him. 
okay? Not to be relying on a bottle. So I kicked a real disease. I kicked a real illness, something that really plagued me. I battled it and I fought it because God was there. And I admitted I was powerless. I was humble and I took the steps and did the work. And through that humility, God blessed me today and gave me the power to spread the message to you guys, right? So I'm giving back. And part of AA is giving back and sharing your story. So I am Joseph Raymond Pop Buchanan. My dad's name is Raymond, so I'm blessed to have his middle name. I'm 39 years old today. I'm six and a half years sober, and I'm a proud recovering alcoholic. And I love you all. Thank you for joining me on the Sober is Dope podcast with our episode 12 Steps to Heaven. And I'm a cut to another outro from a famous person's perspective on the 12 steps for you guys to have a little fun with it right i hope it's not overkill but i just want you guys to know i love you and enjoy it um the next segment will be a segment with the famous comedian author and humanitarian russell brand and his take on the 12 steps i love you i'll catch you guys on the other side god bless you and have a great day First thing, are you a bit fucked? The first thing is admitting that there's some sort of problem. It could be I'm always getting into shit relationships. I'm always getting into jobs and not liking it. I get into continual conflict with other males. I don't have good relationships with my family members. Are you a bit fucked? You know, so as soon as you acknowledge a problem, I think the possibility for change begins. But not without saying, could you not be fucked? That's the second step. Is it possible to not be fucked? Three, are you on your own going to unfuck yourself? Right, that means accepting help. For me, I knew I was a smackhead. It's obvious I was a smackhead, but I came to believe from meeting people that was much worse smackheads than me who had got clean that it was possible to not be a smackhead. But I knew that I wouldn't be able to do it on my own. If we had the answer to our problems inside our own fucking head, we'd have found it by now. If any version of psychoanalysis or whatever it is you're traipsing through to unravel the mysteries of your past, if it was going to be done in solitude, I think we would have happened upon it. This is where this program becomes interesting because it happens collectively as a group. I know that. All of you have got stories. I know that any one of you could tell me something about yourself that would make me cry because it's so painful and so beautiful. I know you still carry aspirations. I know that you carry with you the heartache, the heartbreak. I know the 3 a.m. you. The third step, are you on your own going to unfuck yourself? It has sort of mystical and spiritual connotations, i.e. I happen to believe in God. I believe in God. A form of God, not some daft fucking thing written down in an old book. No, no, no. Limitless consciousness, mysteries, entanglement. Ah, the roaring world of coincidence. Step four is where it gets a bit fucking admin heavy. Step four is this. Write down all the things that are fucking you up or have ever fucked you up. Don't lie or leave anything out. That's a hard, hard process. See you. You've probably got things where someone was rude to you at school, broke your heart, made you feel insignificant, inadequate about your body or about your life or about something in you. I fucking did. Loads of things happened to me, but I've catalogued all all of it, fucking hell, it took ages, it was a right ball ache, wrote it all down, things that were deep in me that made me feel ashamed and separate from the world forever, like oh, I could never be accepted, I'll never be good enough, I'd done that thing, that person said that thing to me, but step five is, honestly tell someone trustworthy about how fucked you are, what was curious about that is that on my step four, which is an inventory of all my grievances, or in the parlance of this program resentments, there were things that were so minor, I was embarrassed I could remember them, minor little things, that 
that person looked, well, Glenn Dainty, Sports Day, pushed me aside and won. I was five. could still remember it. And then things that I think, fuck, that was dark. I'd done that shit. Dark things, self-harming things, harm, harm. And when I told the other geezer that I told this to, because as I say, this program is best practiced in communion. He just went, yeah, I've done something like that. That's not that bad. My point is this, that none of us need carry the shame anymore. None of us need live in a pain-based identity anymore. I'll put it to you that we live with a biochemistry that stimulates fear and desire in order that we may survive. Need fear, get on your fucking toes, watch yourself out on them planes. You need desire to get out there and hunt and procreate. But when you live in a culture that continually stimulates fear and desire in order to make you a better consumer, these biochemical mm, advantages and imperatives become problematic. That's what I'm saying we're living in now. Having done this inventory, you'll be ready for step six. It reveals a lot of fucked up patterns. Like When I looked at my own life, I saw that the way I used to get expelled out of schools was the same way I would get thrown out of jobs years later. The same way that my relationship was difficult with people when I was a schoolboy became difficult romantic partnerships when I was an adult. We've got patterns. And here I will make one of the most important points to you that I can make. You don't choose between working a program and not working a program. You choose between a conscious program and an unconscious program. You are already working a program without question. You are working in the conditioning of your culture, your class, your family, and your school. You are the person that you were told to be for good or for ill. What this is, is an opportunity to identify your patterns and your behaviours so that you can form a better aspect of yourself. I feel that we live in a culture that exacerbates and provokes the lower aspects of our nature the fear the desire the lust in order that we will be good consumers and ignores the fact that we are altruistic kind loving and sweet then things get a little bit lost sometimes step seven are you willing to live in a new way that's not all about you and your previous fucked up stuff you have to That is another point in this program where there's a kind of spiritual intersection. Me, I'm a person that does pray and meditate, but for me all that means is that I don't just live my life on a material level. I don't just think, oh, I'm Russell, I'm going to go to that thing later and talk to a squire and then I'll be in a car and that's that. No, I see myself as having a life that's beyond the limited scope of sensual and... uh, What do I want to say? Gross understanding. I believe there are subtler energies at work in a human being. You know the coincidences and synchronicities from your own life. You know the mysteries of your own myth. You know the moments where had you turned another corner to quote dear George Michael, another addict that we lost, that maybe your life would have been different. You'd have made different decisions. You may never have met him or her. You may never have taken that job or that opportunity. That sense that perhaps we are being guided. That sense that perhaps the same way as our fingerprints are unique, there is some other code, some less easily ascertainable code that is trying to realise itself the same way that an acorn will grow into an oak tree. The same way that there is some knowledge within each seed, within each cell that it must realise itself. If your consciousness is in attunement with this energy, then I think there are rich, rich possibilities for us as human beings. Eight and nine, step eight, prepare to apologise to everyone for everything affected by your being so fucked up. If you've been a drug addict for any serious amount of time, you've caused some real damage to people. Or if you've been a person that's just put yourself first a lot, you will have caused real damage to people. I did. And part of my journey has been going and making amends not just because restitution and apology are good fine spiritual things to do but also to remind me that I don't do that sort of thing anymore 
now when I feel the sort of the casual urge to be dismissive of people, something in me reminds me, don't treat other human beings as a commodity. People don't only exist to serve you. Every single one of us in this room has our own little story, has our own little pain, has our own little journey, and none of us needs to be subjugated into one another's lives. But some of us have a tendency to insert ourselves into other people's drama. Some of you are like, oh, why do I always go out of arseholes? And those of us that are arseholes are very grateful for your arsehole attraction. But you may be right. It may be better if you looked at your code, looked at your programming, looked at the kind of relationships you're drawn into. Step nine is having made a list of all the people you've damaged, you become willing to make amends to them unless you making amends would fuck their shit up bad for them. E.g. you don't go, mate, I'm ever so sorry. I've been having an affair with your wife. That was wrong. If that person doesn't know that, you've just made their life far, far worse. It's a program of spiritual... Hmm, growth and development the final three steps 10 watch out for your fucked up behavior and thinking and be honest when it happens 11 stay connected to your new perspective that is an interesting thing that and that's where prayer and meditation become quite important like there will be times in a day when you let go you know when someone when you see a cyclist and a cab driver about to have a row in the street they've let go they've let go of the connection haven't they all that matters in that moment is i'm gonna fucking kill you but if you were able to talk to them and go, mate, you've got your fucking family, your kids, are you willing to give your life up? There have been moments in my life where I've done it too, where I've gone, I'll fucking put every, all the chips of my life I'll put on that. So I'll gamble a lot on you, mate. You fucking, I'll fucking kill you. And like, for what? For what? For some moment. <laughs> like, it doesn't mean anything. So the step 11 becomes, with step 10, you're constantly observing your patterns. You're watching your mind work. Oh, look, I'm doing that shit again. Step 11 is you remain connected so that there aren't you'll notice it if someone provokes you check me I am easy provoked if, if I feel men are not being respectful to me I'm provoked because I'm not a conventional male I grew up in a very conventional male environment if I feel intimidated or threatened by men I feel I have to overcompensate for that but I know that about myself now so I'm not entirely governed by it the 12th step is where you dedicate your life to helping other people, where we unpick the great problem of our age, self-centeredness, narcissism, obsession with self, my hair, my products, this lovely little fucking Alexander McQueen little skeleton thing. I start to look beyond self-centeredness, knowing that it will always be there, but not having it as my coordinate as my guiding star my guiding star becomes are you being kind to anyone pause for a moment to think have you done anything for anyone other than yourself all day today and if the answer is no that's a weird thing for a social animal that's meant to live in little tribes roaming through forests and plains if all you've done is I want this I want that I want that now I'm not talking about you I'm talking about me me if I don't watch myself very self-centered little individual so that's a sort of a bit of a 25-minute pricey of how this program works. Anyone can do it. It's fucking easy. You shouldn't do it on your own. But if you're not doing it, you're being subjected to the patterns of your childhood.